ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. I'm Robert Crowther with the Center for Science and Culture, and today we'll be examining the role of parents in education, mostly public education. Now, joining me today is my longtime friend and colleague, Andrew McDermott. Andrew is a senior fellow here at Discovery Institute. He has a master's in teaching from Seattle Pacific University and a BA in English creative writing from UW. Like many of the Discovery Institute fellows, he's sort of a jack of all trades. He writes a regular technology column at Newsmax called Authentic Technology, where he explores today's technology and encourages readers to live authentically in the digital age. Regular listeners to ID the Future will recognize him as a sometime host and reader of articles and interviewer of various scientists and fellows on a number of the topics for the Center for Science and Culture. He also serves here at Discovery as a media relations specialist and as a key editor for and assistant to Dr. Stephen Meyer. He homeschools his own three children in an education co-op he put together with his wife, which we'll get to in just a moment. And then finally, with all of his free time after that, he is the host of the Scottish Culture and Music Podcast, Simply Scottish, available anywhere podcasts are found. Andrew, you are one busy boy, but thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. Thanks, Rob. It's uh, exciting to be on this side of the mic for once. Yes, exactly. We're going to be discussing a commentary piece you just had published in the New York Post. It was titled, Word to the Wise, Progressives Forget That Parents Are in Charge of Kids' Education. People can find that piece, if they want to read it, on the Bottom Line blog from Discovery's American Center for Education at discovery.org. And I want to mention that just like Andrew writes, researches, and thinks on a variety of issues, so too does Discovery Institute in general. The piece we're going to discuss today is about education. He also writes, as I mentioned, about technology for Newsmax. And many of those pieces can be found on mindmatters.ai. That's the URL, mindmatters.ai which is a part of Discovery's Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence, examining a number of issues ranging from AI, artificial intelligence, to the human brain, and how technology and biotechnology affect all these different areas. Uh, As you know, ID the Future uh, is a product of Discovery's Center for Science and Culture, and listeners might want to explore some of the other programs at Discovery on education reform, technology, economics, homelessness, and more. There is a thread that runs through all of these various Discovery programs, a sort of challenge to materialism and scientism, and the championing of the idea that mind, not matter, is the source of creation, the the wellspring of human achievement. And that brings us to Andrew's column about the importance and really the necessity of parental involvement in education. His piece is a a reaction to the recent tumult over who should be in charge of educating our children. Is it the government? Is it so-called experts? Should it be parents? 
Recently, one of those education experts wrote in an opinion piece, quote, parents, community members, and politicians who aren't qualified to teach should keep their noses out of school curricula, end quote. So, Andrew, why are you sticking your nose into school curricula? What qualifies you to weigh in on this issue? I tell you. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say it's it's an absolute delight to work at Discovery Institute for all the reasons you just mentioned. You know, there are many think tanks out there. Some have a laser focus on what they want to achieve, whether it's economics or government or law. But Discovery Institute, I don't want to call it a catch-all. It's just it's a huge umbrella. And it's just amazing to see all the ways that so many facets of society and culture are intertwined. So I'm glad you mentioned that, actually. Well, why did I stick my nose in here? Yeah, you know, that that quote was particularly uh, funny, you know, in a not-so-funny way. It's like, when did we get to this point where parents are just invited to, you know, send them to us and we'll, we'll take care of it, you know? I don't really know when exactly that started, but you can trace the the history. I don't know why I'm sticking my nose in in particular. I think I think I'm invested in my kids' education. You know, I'm not going to simply trust a public school to to do it. And in fact, that's why my wife and I homeschool. We want to make sure that we're coming alongside them, and because we're ultimately responsible. You know. It says in the book of Proverbs to train your children up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Well, we can partner with other people to, to help us do that, but it ultimately falls at our feet. I mean, after all, they are our children, our legacy, and we have to be very careful with that. So I'm glad to be sticking my nose in and, and to encourage other parents to do the same. So with this article, you were a, a bit incensed I can uh, put some words in your mouth uh, about these sort of experts who seem to be indicating a lot lately. Uh, we see in the news various people saying, you know, parents should take a backseat in education. It's the principals, the teachers, the education experts in the system that should be in charge of not just curriculum, but all the decisions throughout the day, school day, right? So this has become much more of an issue of late. Maybe you could tell us why that has intrigued you so much, what you've seen, and and this article, why you're responding to it right now. Yeah, I mean, I've seen in the last few years this front in the culture war opening up, obviously inflamed by a lot of things that are going on in society and in politics, important things that need talked about and need addressed. But I've just seen this front opening up between parents concerned parents who feel that their kids are being messed with in ways that they don't want, and school boards, uh, teachers, administrators, uh, even educational leaders uh, like those in the school unions or politicians. I just see this, this, this war going on, this new front here. And of course, it really isn't new per se, but this, this part of it is new where we're seeing a lot of radical policies being put forward to do with our history and to do with identity politics. And it's sort of muddying the waters, you know, getting us away from the three R's, if you will, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, we can throw in electives, but when did we start studying gender in school and, you know, redefining our history in, in fundamental ways? 
I mean, these are things you don't just take for granted. You don't just start doing. You got to have conversations. You've got to involve the parents. It's a multifaceted approach, you know. But yeah, I mean, I, I started seeing these folks say that, ah, it's just conspiratorial fantasies, one person put it, that these parents are having, you know, that we're doing awful things to their children. Even our, our former president, Obama, called it part of these phony trumped up culture wars, you know. He didn't see any problem with the way education's going. And things kind of came to a head recently when when parents were called a form of domestic terrorists by important educational groups who appealed to our president saying, hey, you got to keep these parents in line, you know. And I'm not endorsing any any violence or or anything of that sort. I mean, these are public servants. They need to be respected. But so do parents, you know, and so do their views and their concerns and their values, you know. It's interesting. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but when you look back at the history of education in America, it was parents who taught their kids at home. And if they didn't feel comfortable or proficient in a certain subject, they, they brought a tutor in, you know. But it was always in this umbrella of shared values and a shared common purpose. And then as America grew and there was more immigration and greater urban development in the creation of our cities, then there was calls for common schools and schools that could be subsidized by the government. And of course, that that is a great thing. You know, Thomas Jefferson had, had been uh, the one to rally for that uh, 100 years even before it started happening because he knew how important education was to the republic. But over time, we've seen, you know, this appeal to authority and this marginalizing of parents slowly and surely that I think is coming to a head these days. Yeah. And it's interesting because you talk about how this has come about more recently with this, uh, these comments like calling parents domestic terrorists because they come to school board meetings and want to voice their opinion and ask questions and be involved in the educational process. At the Center for Science and Culture and in the debate over intelligent design and evolution, for years, <laughs> there's been a number of Darwinist materialists who have attacked anybody who opposed the scientific status quo as some sort of domestic terrorists. You know, they, they, they called the Discovery Institute fellows who were challenging some of the icons of evolution in textbooks, they called them the Texas Taliban because they were down there in Texas having this debate over textbooks. So we've seen this sort of thing in education on the science front for sure. And one of the things that we've always championed has been a, a source of kind of objectivity in the classroom of uh, not pushing propaganda ideologies, you know, not presenting it that way, but being more about critical thinking, teach students how to think, present them with all of the evidence. In the evolution debate, we've always said it's better to teach more, not less. They need to know about the strengths and the weaknesses of the various theories and to understand what those are so that they can decide for themselves how to approach that. And you talked about that in your piece broadly in education, we need to be doing more to teach kids how to think. So why is it important to teach students how to think and not what to think? Well, parents and all folks in favor of academic freedom are fighting back against radical curriculum policies in public schools. But as you say, this is nothing new for us. You know, 
we've seen parents pushing back against teaching evolutionary dogma to their kids as well. So it's really the same thing. And it boils down to critical thinking. You know, what do you want kids to, to be doing after school? I mean, after their school years, do you want them to just think a certain way and then, and then that's it? The, their minds are closed or do you want them to be open? Do you want them to have the ability to evaluate competing hypotheses and arguments and ideas? I mean, we know that, that this is a marketplace of ideas and that's what they're going to be immersed in after school, after their school years. And are they going to get overwhelmed? Are they just going to shut down mentally? Are they going to cling to things that they learned in school and, and not change those or refine those views? Like you said, critical thinking is where it's at. And as I was writing this preparation work, I thought, gosh, CRT, right? We're, we're hearing a lot about CRT. Well, <laughs> could stand for critical thinking, you know, on these issues. It's just imperative. It's so important that we teach controversial and important ideas objectively and then teach the kids how to wrestle with those, you know, how to analyze them, how to evaluate them. You know, many years ago in, in, in education, I learned that you're taking something on and you're wrestling with it, like literally, you know, with your mind, maybe not with your body, but you're, you're just really wrestling with something and you're massaging it and you're shaping it and then you make it your own. And that's a process and that's part of critical thinking. You don't just take what somebody tells you and, oh, okay, and then moving on. No, you've got to evaluate it. Yeah, like you said, the strengths and the weaknesses. And that's something else I've been thinking about lately is that teachers really need to be more responsible to not color the perspective of their students as they're teaching them. You know, we all have opinions about things and teachers are among the most passionate people in the world because they, they engage with the next generation and they're enthusiastic about teaching. But in that passion, in that enthusiasm, they have to be careful to be as objective as they can. We're not perfect. We're not, you know, machines, but just to be objective so that the student can then pick it up and do that wrestling themselves, you know, both corporately as a class, but also individually. And that is another point I was wanting to make. You know, you talk about discovery being involved with lots of different things. Well, one aspect that connects this to technology is that with all this tech around us, we're not doing a lot of thinking these days. You know, we don't even think about birthdays and cell phone numbers the way we used to, because it's it's remembered for us. We're, we're staring at our screens and we don't have that time to reflect on our learning, to reflect on important ideas, you know. And so we really need to encourage that, you know, just uh, putting aside the technology or the screens and just really uh, encouraging the critical thinking that is needed. Yeah. You had also written in your piece too, a little bit about how we're all teachers. Everyone's teaching to some extent, especially parents, of course. And you talked about uh, Doug Axe and his book, Undeniable, where he had mentioned that all of us are also scientists. Yeah. Isn't that revolutionary? Yeah. I credit uh, Douglas Axe and, and his book, uh, Undeniable, how biology confirms our intuition that life is designed with this idea that, yeah, we're all scientists. From soon after birth, we're careful observers of the world around us. We make mental notes of the things we observe, and we use these notes to build conceptual models of how things work, models that will refine over time. We can evaluate competing hypotheses and make an inference to the best explanation. 
these are methods that Charles Darwin himself and his contemporaries used to reach their conclusions. And this is science. This is common science, as Doug Axe puts it. So when it comes to pursuing the big questions in life, the ones that can be informed by science, like how did life originate? What makes us different than animals? How did the universe begin? We're all scientifically qualified to pursue those. We don't just have to sit back and listen to the experts. We have a, an innate design intuition inside us where we can detect the hallmarks of design and use that to build these models you know, about life and the universe. And I'm not you know, dissing the folks that spend four and eight and 10 years going to school to be subject experts, not at all. You know, I went to school to be a teacher as well and to really get to know a subject really well. I pursue excellence in education and I advocate that for everyone. But what I am saying is that we've got to be careful about trusting the experts and just sitting back and letting them do their thing. We have to think, we have to engage in the big topics, and we really should acknowledge the power that we have to do so. Yeah. And parents as teachers need to be aware of that, not be intimidated by the system or the so-called experts that may challenge them, but to be respectful and engage with them in this discussion. And I think that's what we've seen some people trying to do, you know, at various school board meetings and educational meetings and things. And sometimes in today's environment, it does get a little heated, but parents need to be involved uh, and they need to be teaching their kids to be self-learners and to be scientists, like you said, observers of the world around them and understanding what's going on. Parents can instill that love of learning and science and these things in their kids as they're growing up. Uh, and then school systems, you know, they can be a, a good uh, addition to that. They can help and, and craft those uh, minds for those with those students. So the parents have to work together with the system, but the system also has to allow them to be involved and engaged. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a two-way street. There's research out there that shows that greater academic success follows when parents actively engage in their children's education. So it definitely has to be that one-way street. Leonard Sachs, the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Collapse of Parenting, recently also shared research on conscientiousness, which involves honesty as a predictor of student success in school. He says a child's character is a better predictor of health, wealth, and happiness 20 years from now than a child's grades or test scores or popularity. So yeah, I think you're right. The two-way street of parents working with teachers, teachers working with parents, and just having that accountability and that openness to get the job done. It's a big task though. You know, We have thousands upon thousands of school districts in America and so many teachers who, you know, are passionate and they feel qualified, and they are in many respects. But when we start bringing in, you know, these controversial and important topics, there are ways to approach those things, you know. But yeah, parents need to step up, you know, respectfully, but step up and remember the power they have. So here at the Center for Science and Culture, obviously, we're dealing with one aspect of the overall educational issue with the debate over intelligent design and evolution on uh, the related scientific subjects. We have some resources for parents 
that can help them with this. Because if parents want to engage with their children on their own outside of what they're getting at school or, you know, in order to sort of sometimes counter what they're getting at school even. What are the resources that we have available? I'll let you uh, talk about a few of those and then I'll tell people where they can find them. Yeah. Whether you have kids in public school or you want to supplement the science they're getting there, or you're part of a homeschool co-op or you're doing it all at home, Discovery Institute has a lot of resources to study evolution and science in general more honestly and objectively. One great textbook that we did uh, is called Explore Evolution. It presents the strengths and the weaknesses of evolutionary theory. It doesn't bring in intelligent design. All it does is focus on what the evidence is saying Darwinian evolution can do and what the evidence is saying that it really cannot do, as some people claim. So that's a great textbook. Uh, If you do want to teach your kids about intelligent design, the scientific theory, then you would turn to Discovering Intelligent Design, which is a text packet that we put together. It's got the textbook, it's got the student workbook, and also some videos that kids can watch throughout that course. So that's a great resource. And in recent years, as you know, uh, Rob, a lot of things have been put online. We have full courses from some of our strong teachers in the subject, you know, Stephen Meyer, Mike Behe, and others who present intelligent design in full online courses that you can take. We also have a website that's really intriguing because it defends academic freedom, freedom to think about all the different competing hypotheses and not just turn to dogma. And that's freescience.today. So that's also a great resource to promote academic freedom, both within your own family, but also in general. Yeah, those are all great resources. I would say that the Explore Evolution and Discovering Intelligent Design textbooks are primarily for upper level high school students, you know, juniors and seniors may be specifically interested in these subjects and college students as well. These are not meant to be for really for grade school kids. They are aimed at high school and above, but those textbooks are great. And the online courses are fantastic. There are online courses at discoveryu.org. That's discoveryu.org. And there are even a couple of free ones. And then there are some more extensive paid courses, like you said, from Stephen Meyer, Douglas Axe, Michael Behe. And there will be more coming in the next year as well. And then, of course, freescience.today, where people can go and follow the debate and discussion over academic freedom. All of those things, we'll put up links to them at ID the Future on this podcast episode page. So if you are following ID the Future, you can go there and and find the links. And of course, you can find all of that by exploring the discovery.org website as well. So I just want to thank you for joining us today, Andrew, to talk about education and encouraging parents to get or stay involved with their children's education. Yeah, it's great to be here, Rob. Thank you. Anytime. Sure. So for the Center for Science and Culture and ID the Future, I'm Robert Crowther. Thanks for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by Center for Science and Culture.